Well, holy shit, I actually managed to do it. After procrastinating for ages, I finally managed to produce an audiobook version of the Lunatic Fringe book. It's currently available on all Amazon sites, audible.com and iTunes. And if you're the page-turning type, it's also, of course, still available in Kindle form, paperback, and uh, hardback on Amazon. Ten hours and ten years worth of Blue Skies Magazine's articles, all available to you right fucking now, including a few author's notes and even an apology or two. Enjoy. In a world... Mate, hold up. We said we're done with the serious intros. Who's it? Well, we did. I don't remember that. Well, I said it, and you're me, so, you know. Well, I don't care. In a world... Uh, Hey, I told you. We're keeping it light. You do it on your own, then. Well, technically, I already am, so... Anyway, fuck yeah, pure wild flight. Get it down, ya. How good? Visit nzaerosports.com. I get to do the next one. Well, obviously, you moron, we both do. Of course. I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model, or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust. Like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot. The Crossfire 3, when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch. The JFX 2, if you're looking to up your new swoop game. The Leia, as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast. Or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low-pack volume canopy, specifically with wingsuiting in mind, She gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com, and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. 
They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! All right, back in the can with another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, and I've gotten really used to doing it this way. It seems to work best. Let's just jump into it. Who the fuck are you? What do you do? Hi, uh, I'm Jarno Cordia, originally from the Netherlands, these days living in Switzerland since about two years now. And um, yeah, I do a lot of smart and dumb stuff in wingsuits. That's <laughs> I think basically sums up... Uh, sums up my career i like that i like that i'd say that's probably the best way you could sum it up uh hopefully um yeah. uh dumb and smart and also a little bit of luck thrown in there too yeah yeah no for sure i think uh definitely if you look at the stuff in the beginning it was more uh more on the luck side and as the years progressed i think getting a bit getting a bit older getting a bit smarter sure and uh these days there's definitely a bit more uh yeah, calculation in, uh, in nice. what I do. Nice. But, uh, well, we talked uh, we talked before we started recording about uh, just how long you've been doing the wingsuiting thing, but let's dive all the way back to how you got started, not just necessarily in skydiving and, and base jumping, but anything extreme. Is this something you've always done? or? Um, I've definitely always had, uh, especially with aerial sports and stuff, uh, a thing my um, my uncle and dad, they're, they're actually twins, my uncle used to skydive, but that's talking way back in the 1970s. Mm. My dad was about to start skydiving then as well, and my dad actually was a packer at the drop zone. And um, then my uncle had an accident and broke his back, landing around, I think, into a fence. Oh, <laughs> and uh, that um, that basically uh, had the whole family discouraged my father a bit from starting skydiving, but I think he always sort of had that... Um, that fascination with anything flying and uh, skydiving. So over the years, um, there was a drop zone quite close to, to where I live or lived. And um, yeah, I got dragged here or there to a drop zone or watching like skydive demos. Okay. I've been to a lot of air shows, that kind of stuff. And f- uh, through that fascination, I, I think 1999, I started skydiving. Okay. Did always have like uh, a thing with other sports. Like I've, I've done... Yeah, I would almost say pretty much everything, uh, one way or another. Sure, sure. But uh, but skydiving definitely was the thing that got me hooked, and um, yes, very slowly that started. Um, it went from like hobby, and then in like four or five years, it turned into more like, um, yeah, part time work almost. Sure. And then from there, it 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 went from worse to worse uh, until it actually developed into like a full-time job. Sure. Now, was there resistance in the family, especially considering your uncle broke his back doing what you were now pursuing? Were your, was your family going, hey, whoa, what are you doing? Um, I think from my mother's side, that was definitely uh, when I had like 15 jumps and I started doing like two ways and that kind of thing. I sort of got the 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 question like, are you sure you want to like already start now making it more and more crazy jumping with other people and stuff? 
But uh, at the same time, she was the one, uh, she's quite a good seamstress and has actually helped with adjusting a few wingsuits and stuff over the years as well. <laughs> but I think when I had like 30 jumps, she actually made my first jumpsuit. So uh, there, I think from the family side, there's been nothing but uh, nothing but support always. Isn't and I think in general also. Isn't it funny also, how you, you get pushback from the family initially, but uh, inevitably they end up either at least accepting it, but most of the time, like bragging about it to other people that their crazy son does this or that or the other thing. So what they were so resistant to, next thing you know, they're like secretly bragging to all their friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the same time, it's sometimes very sort of fun humbling where you, you know, you post something on Instagram or something that you think looks very cool. And then like your mom is the first to comment like, are you being careful or something, you know? <laughs> Like, mom, I'm being cool for my friends. I think that's kind Please. of that inside joke, though, right, with skydivers. We all kind of giggle. You know, every once in a while, my dad will uh, put something up on Facebook. And in the classic old man style, everything's in capital letters. And he's not really sure what he's talking about. And you just kind of shake your head and go, all right, well, at least my friends are going to get a good giggle out of this. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think in general, even though... You know, it's it's there. I think it's good to have a lot of people around you that sort of keep you grounded in that stuff because it's, you know, where you can be a very famous person in the sport, but the moment you take one step out of a drop zone, there is not a single person that knows who you are right. or thinks of you as anything else but like a lunatic that uh, that is dealing with some suicidal issues. So. Right. That's a, that was always one of the things that used to come up too, and people would would bring up, um, you know, what's the end game in skydiving, and and what successes do you think you're going to get out of this? Because yeah, you're the best at this super obscure thing that you do, and people can't figure out why you do it in the first place, and it's very difficult to explain to people that don't jump. No, and I think even inside the sport, like the motivations vary a lot. You know, for some it's really just an escape from like their normal thing, and. Or even, I think, maybe to some, a way to be special in a way that they're perhaps not in, a, in their normal day job or life. Sure. But I think for me, the, the main attraction is actually just, um, you know, having goals in, in what you do, be it competitive or be it like in personal skills. So for me, most of the flying that uh, I, and I have to actually say we do uh, as a team, because I would really say 99.9% .9 of all the jumps I do, I do at the moment with uh, with Jenna, mm. who's yeah, basically like my partner in <laughs> or really everything I do. And um, yeah, there I think we both really have the motivation to to just constantly be better. And sure. it's um, yeah, there that that's you know, be it like uh, the way a gymnast treats the sport or or somebody doing parkour or whatever other sport. I think for us. Having those training goals where we want to achieve a certain something, that is to me what makes the flying a lot of fun. And even though just jumping out of the plane and randomly doing stuff, it still excites me and still makes me enjoy everything. But sure. there is definitely always with everything we do, there's a bit of a goal behind it. Like in base jumping, my personal thing is really the camera work. Like I really um, yeah, get a get a big kick out of getting a really good shot. Sure. And yeah, we. Um, and and I think the the weird thing is like I think to a lot of people that kind of focus on actually treating it always as like training, almost like the way a you know like a swimmer trains for the Olympics. Sure. But uh, I think to us that training is actually what the fun is. And even though you know like uh, when we go to the wind tunnel in Sweden, the wingsuit tunnel, and we um, 
during like the week that we coach there, we always try to at least fly an hour or two hours for ourselves as well to train to keep the skills up. So we have uh, so we have stuff to teach. Sure. But at the same time, it's um, we never come out of the tunnel like 100% satisfied. But it's always more in a way where it's like, oh, this could be better. That's that can be more efficient. And, sure. And there, it's really nice because. Um, I definitely have a big focus on like video in everything I do, which comes from my previous job where um, originally I'm actually a 3D animator, special effects artist and doing like a lot of stuff with, uh, yeah, basically with camera, graphics, that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, so, yeah, basically there is almost not a thing that I do that's, that is not on camera, which is funny because Jenna has the complete opposite thing. She's really about enjoying the jump and really... Sure. Doesn't give a hoot about what is on uh, what is on video. Sure. Which, uh, yeah, definitely has been a thing that I sort of also, you know, had to uh, had to learn and actually now enjoy a lot more, more. Like most of the base jumps we do are completely without cameras. Sure. Well, now when you got started but, in uh, the sport, you you uh, um, obviously if you are an anime three D animator and have uh, you know some serious education behind you. You were doing other stuff besides just jumping out of airplanes. So how did that all blend together when you started jumping? I, apparently, you were going to school and all this. So how'd you end up uh, just jumping off cliffs and shooting videos? Uh, well, actually, I did. It's I started jumping. I have to do the math, but yeah, basically, judging the gray hairs, I think <laughs> I'm quite old at the moment. Um, I started jumping when I was 20, 21 or something like that. So I'd already finished school. I was actually done with school quite uh, quite early because wow. I, from a young age, I knew what I wanted to do. So I think I was 17 when I was already done and then already working for a small TV station. Oh, wow. Doing like editing and that kind of stuff. Um, but um, I started in 2000, I started jumping in 1999. Mm-hmm. But in 2005 is where I basically started my own company, 3D animation stuff. And together with uh, back then a friend, and that actually grew to like having two people working for us and a small office in Rotterdam in Holland. Oh, wow. And actually, yeah, actually not being too unsuccessful doing stuff like uh, editing, uh, little animation, special effects work for video clips, uh, that kind of stuff. Wow. But being like my own boss, it also allowed me to sort of do this thing where I would work like an idiot for two two weeks in a row. And then if there was no work, instead of just sitting in an office, I would actually go away for two weeks, three weeks. So started to plan the work a little bit where it's, it developed basically from having like a full-time job mm. to... I, I think the whole self-employment thing for me was always... A way to sort of try and work smarter, not harder. Sure, and, sure. Um, and even though I would have loved to work in skydiving right from the start, I do believe that working like packing on the drop zone or that kind of stuff, um, it's it is indeed working in skydiving. But I think having a really well-paid job outside of skydiving and purely doing skydiving as hobby. It definitely allows you to acquire skills a lot quicker, which in the end will allow you to sort of, you know, make a living out of skydiving in, in like a more fun way. Sure. Well, I, I think that's the key, right, is uh, um, for people like me who I didn't do the packing mat route, but I started shooting video very, very early on in my career. Yeah, and yeah. then next thing you know, I'm doing tandems and AFF and it became an all encompassing way of life to the point where 
uh, on a day off, the last thing in the world that would cross my mind was going to the drop zone to fun jump. Because uh, I had just done, you know, 75 yeah. jumps this last week or 100 jumps. Uh, so I think doing it that way, um, you keep that. I don't want to say the enjoyment because I enjoyed the hell out of all the years that I worked full time jumping. Um, but there's a bit more passion involved when your skydive is 100% yours and not your students. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that I th- is, I think, also how for me it turned into like an actual job that actually almost happened without no, without realizing. I started wingsuiting basically winter 2003, mm. and then so that's now what is it? 19 years ago, 18 <laughs> years ago, mm-hmm. and um, that's the thing I always hate now about this age. Like when you register on a website, you have to scroll back <laughs> so far to find your birth year. Oh, tell me but, about um, it. <laughs> but um, I basically started wingsuiting, and back then I was yeah really like one of the very few people that was that was wingsuiting like in in netherlands back then i was one of maybe like 15 people that did wingsuiting but like one or three or four that actually did it as their discipline and not just as a thing they did on the side sure and you know you you'd really see that if you went somewhere you'd sort of really have to almost like uh, work hard to meet other wingsuiters to jump with Mm. and I remember back then when I went to different drop zones, I, I think every third drop zone that I went to, to jump, you got the comment like, wow, you're the first person to jump a wingsuit here. Right. And yeah, like now that's unimaginable. Oh, but, yeah. Um, well, I, 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 I equated it to when I talked to the, uh, the squirrel guys, um, I equated it to when snowboarding started to come on the scene with skiing. And for the longest time, it was, you know, those of us still on skis going, get the hell off my mountain, knocking my moguls down, all this shit. And, and of yeah, course, yeah. now you, it's, you could not imagine a mountain without, you know, snowboards on it. So I think it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's now on a drop zone. It's quite common to just see wingsuits walking around. And it's no longer like a, like a novelty thing. Sure. And... And what I had back then, there was basically not too many wingsuiters around, but there were, uh, back then, dropzone.com was like the big thing where you yeah. would communicate because it wasn't really like a Facebook uh, world and, and stuff like that. Sure. So there was then like a lot of sort of uh, meeting up at boogies and events and that kind of stuff. And I used to jump like with, uh, like some of them still wingsuiting a lot, others a bit less, but uh, like... Uh, um, or even just people I looked up to, you know, it was like Craig Poxon uh, from UK, uh, uh, Andy Ford, those kind of people there. There were people that you'd see at like various boogies. Sure. Like I went to the Hercules boogie 2004 in Sweden, spent a good three days falsifying a logbook because I had 300 jumps. <laughs> and then I suddenly read that Sweden demanded 500 jumps to fly a wingsuit. So... And then basically several people around me said, oh, you know, just write a few pages and, sure. and just say, yeah, 500. It's just a, that's just a Swedish local rule. Sure. So I arrive at the check-in at the boogie, show my, uh, show my paperwork and sees how many jumps do you have. I'm like uh, 540. And I really, from like jump 300 to 540, I wrote a story for every single jump, forged <laughs> different signatures of people, everything. And then they never asked for the logbook. Of course. <laughs> of course so, oh man but, um, but yeah no and that was fun you know like i think at that boogie we flew like the first 14 way uh like a v formation sure and 
that was all yeah, super cool stuff back then. Um, and yeah, that I think that Boogie in 2004 definitely sparked like an enthusiasm with me for for the wingsuiting, where I uh, I basically did a bit of free fly and a bit of tandem video, sure, and a bit of FS4, like a bit of everything, you know, like a little bit of everything, but not really good at one thing, <laughs> right? And then wingsuiting really clicked, and especially when I was doing like back flying, and nobody else could really do that yet. I think. Um, and then also like jumping with uh, with Andy Ford in uh, in Sweden, that was definitely like oh you know so somebody else having like a similar amount of fun sure. uh, with the wingsuits. Um, that sort of just made me more and more want to be better at it. Sure. And through that, um, more and more people started asking me for tips uh, about flying. And I mainly doing a few events here or there. I mainly got annoyed that it was. Unlike other disciplines, it was very disorganized, you know, just people jumping on loads randomly, not really, you know, like if you join a, 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 a good like organizer in free fly or FS, or FS, you do the same jump two, three times until it works, sure. you know, and there's not just randomly people walking on at boarding time. So I basically organized like my own thing, uh, going to like Empuria Brava in Spain mm. and having like... I think we had like 10 people that I knew that were okay flyers and everybody be disciplined and we started doing stuff there and we did really fun, cool flying like 2005 to 2008. Sure. And then at some point that developed into some of these people asking like, hey, we really enjoyed that. Could we actually pay you to come with us on like our next trip to to do that? And sort of, yeah, unknowingly that developed into into coaching and in the beginning just for you know, like getting expenses paid, but sure. at some points getting asked so much that it's, um, it's became an actual job. Well, and you're also talking about a time, especially with wingsuiting, when I think the whole industry and the whole sport was trying to figure out how to do it safely, right? I mean, um, where the hell do the wingsuits go? When do they get out? Where should they be flying? I mean, lots of uh, scary stuff in, a, you know, an environment where you're having to learn with skydivers that don't just fall down anymore or at an angle, they're going all over the fucking place. You know, and for those of us in the States, we, especially sitting in the pilot seat, we had to contend with um, wingsuiters loving clouds, as you would, and getting their pilots in a shitload of trouble because the FAA says it doesn't matter how far that wingsuiter flew to get to the cloud, it's still the pilot's fault. So you were you yeah, were yeah. there when it was all, I mean, you guys were having to learn all these lessons firsthand in the changes you must have yeah, seen yeah. yeah it's it's there i'd almost say sadly there there is there is a lot more knowledge now but i do think it's at the moment still quite um quite spread out <laughs> and at the same time there's also i think a lot of stuff now that is just been perpetuated in terms of like what people say sure but um it's there isn't really sort of like what you have with free fly if you ask a coach like uh, how do I go forward? How do I go backwards? Every single coach will give you the same, um, the same tips. Sure. Quite excited to talk about free fly because uh, Jen and I are actually just getting into doing a bit of vertical tunnel uh, recently. Awesome. But um, um, but if you ask like a wingsuit coach, like how do I do this or that? There's several ones that can give really good like meta advice, like do this with your shoulder, do this with uh, the arm, do this with you know, do this with your angle. But a lot of the so the stuff you hear currently in wingsuiting is still 
sort of like more like you're attending a yoga class, like, you know, <laughs> feel the speed and uh, go with the angle, feel the flow and uh, that kind of stuff. So I think there, wingsuit compared to other disciplines still, I think, has a long way uh, that it can go. And I think especially in what's possible, if you look at like the amount of dedicated repetitive training that FS and free fly um, teams or individuals do on certain things, um, I think there's very few wingsuit uh, wingsuit skydivers or base jumpers that put that amount of dedication into like just repeating one single task to get super precise sure. at it. So there, I do still think that wingsuit now is at a point where free fly was 20 years ago. And I still think if we could fast forward 20 years, it probably still has a very long way to go. And I don't mean that in that we're now in the stone age. I just mean that I think there's still so much room for, oh, sure. for well, growth I in think terms the of what you can do. I think the progression is just going to continue. I mean, I, as an outsider, I've seen it just, you know, these huge strides, at least to me. Obviously, to somebody like you that's in it every day, uh, it seems to be coming a little bit slower. But it's people like you that are doing the coaching and teaching people uh, that helps that along quite a lot and i'd imagine too um because you started coaching and wingsuiting so early on that had to have improved your flying exponentially as well right i mean yeah it's it's there it it made me but that was actually almost the other way around like i was already before uh through sort of my work obsession with video like any second of video i got and like way back then you know back 2004 five six finding like somebody else that jumped wingsuit and then on top of that somebody else that jumped camera was almost like a rarity right so any video that i got i definitely sort of overanalyzed and um 2006 i started jumping with a friend here in holland and we actually formed like the team name that we still use the fly like brick which at that point was a joke (laughs) but at the moment it's sort of become the brand name i think it's great (laughs) and um yeah, I think at the time uh, the, our website read like uh, "Fly Like Brick" is a wingsuit team. Uh, "Fly Like Brick" is our Indian name, um, and um, I think the second line was something like "We are Europe's best uh, wingsuit team," and then it said something like, "Which is similar to being the only gay Eskimo because there are no, no other European wingsuit teams." I think in today's uh, Today's politically correct cancel culture. I think that website would have disappeared ages ago. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think yeah, we, uh, I think in the PC world, skydiving still lags behind a little bit, thankfully. Uh, or I would have been, yeah, yeah. I would have been, uh, they would have thrown me off the magazine and taken me off the air a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. No, and there the um, the whole um, yeah, definitely like in what I was doing, it definitely professionalized slowly as I went along and I think just through my own passion for doing like nicely edited videos on everything I did I think I sort of yeah got quite a bit of uh yeah I think following or popularity is too big a word but you definitely notice that I was getting a bit noticed uh through just you know all the nicely edited videos sure which also with some people created a very incorrect image of what the videos of course are all the edited good moments sure but of course there's a lot of crap sure you know like bad flying bad transitions and stuff that doesn't make it into the videos sure of course but um but yeah and i think that for for me is still a big thing like i still love 
uh, trying to capture what we do on camera and make like nicely edited videos of it. That's still like um, that, that whole visual aspect for me is still a big thing. Well, and of course, uh, you were ahead of the game before um, social media was what it is now, because now if you don't have a good visual presence in social media, you're fucked. You know, if you're if you're yeah, trying to yeah, keep yeah, any yeah, image there, out actually, there. Yeah. There, I'm actually sort of sad, like the whole Instagram thing that I actually got into it so late in terms of, you know, the following you see people build. Sure. But um, also not really as a complaint or anything. But I think I've only been using Instagram for about four years. Sure. So like, really, I've, I've, I think I made an account in like 2015 or 16 when I went to China to that uh, World Wingsuit League and they sort of demand that you have an Instagram account. Right. So I made an account and then didn't do anything with it. Besides putting like five photos on it, I didn't do anything with it for like two or three years. Sure. And then I think so. It was somewhere like 2018 that I actually slowly started using it a bit more. And now I've definitely almost moved away from Facebook because I think Instagram is a lot nicer with just the picture. It's really just about the picture. Yeah, it's all visual. And, it's all visual. And Instagram, uh, sorry, uh, Facebook seems to be, um, you know. Last year, that was mostly about Trump politics. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I now think it's about, now it's mostly about vaccines and uh, Facebook is uh, armchair. Uh, Facebook is armchair doctors and politicians, and it's long form bitching about this and that. And Instagram is the check out this cool stuff. Um, so I think you're yeah. right in that. I'm still, it, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit like you. I was slow on the uptake with Instagram, but. Um, for me too, because I'm not producing the stuff that you're producing. Um, my following on Instagram is only going to be people that are wanting to see what's next on the podcast uh, or, you know, what's next with the book. So for me, it's a little bit easier and I'm not out there competing with, you know, the girl that's got 5 million, um, followers cause she's in short shorts. Um, which, and hats off to her. I give her all the credit in the world, but speaking specifically of uh, stuff like Instagram and especially because you do such produced high-end videos, does it bug you that sometimes the shittiest little clips are the ones that get all the attention uh, when you're putting all this work into really good stuff? Uh, I think yes and no, because I I do have to say I don't think I've ever done any jump or anything specifically for Instagram. Like, even though... I do make really nice videos of what we're doing, but like when we are doing, like we started the year in January with a really nice helicopter jump with a long proximity flight and then four minutes of crying because our hands were frozen online, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> not doing that one again. Um, but like, even though the video on that is um, something that afterward I love and almost obsess over in editing and, you know, making it look nice to, to post, uh, we're never getting in that helicopter or we're never jumping off that cliff and we're never really going into that wingsuit tunnel for a single second with the intent of, um, you know, the, the Instagram post or Facebook post or YouTube video is never the, the original intent. Sure. And I definitely think there that there is a danger of actually doing doing the jumps for that. Like, especially in base jumping, you, you see certain people that are oh, yeah. definitely, I think, pushing harder than they should. Um, just because they seem to be really eager to please an audience. and Well, I mean, you I would they're... know this much more than me, but especially in base jumping and wingsuit base jumping, 
there's got to be countless injuries and fatalities directly related to trying to be a badass on social media because you saw someone else do something that you think you need to do better. Uh, so you're right. I think that's a, a, the worst motivation in the world is going out and jumping for Instagram. Yeah, and I think in general, like social media is quite easy to get a bit of um – Sort of like, and uh, not even social media, but just internet in general. It's it's easy to sort of develop a very unhealthy relationship with it. Mm. And I have to say, I think the last two years, three years, I'm definitely doing uh, a lot better with that. But I definitely also had a period, and I think that for me, that was almost like 2010 to 2015, where I was way too invested about, you know, the ch- the choice of suit that I jumped, the style of flying I did, and you know, almost getting into like argument or not almost just actually getting into arguments online with people where now I'm, I'm and that has definitely been Jenna that has sort of helped me ask like, you know, why the hell are you even spending time on this right. when you could actually just be sipping a wine and watching a movie at home? You know, why would you sit there and sure. spend time online arguing with strangers on the Internet? Yeah, no, I um, agree. I agree. In fact, uh, um, the one of the best things in the world for me was starting the podcast and having to do an Instagram and Facebook specifically for the podcast and, and the books and stuff because it turned into a bit of a job and my personal time on social media not including the Trump era, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. back down dramatically. And I will admit that I got way too deep into it with the political stuff. But now my my personal social media footprint is very, very small. It's all just about the work that I'm doing. So I kind of am there with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, I think the last, like the last three, four years, I thankfully haven't had like like personal life, I think uh, trying to f- we're we're both trying to keep that fully sort of off limits for online, um, and mainly try to just you know um, almost trying to treat internet like a post only thing. Of course, you do, especially with wingsuit stuff. Try to you know stay a bit up to date with what everyone's doing, both from a point of inspiration sure. uh, as you know from the competitive side, seeing what other teams are doing, uh, you know, to see if we need to you know step it up ourselves. Sure. Now talk to me but, about uh, uh, talk to me about competing in wingsuiting because I, I I will admit that I don't know a whole lot about what's involved in the competitions. So the competitions there there have basically been all kinds of competitions um, from the get go in wingsuiting, uh, various competitions, even some formats that are no longer there. Uh, one of the very first formats was of course the the, the whole competitive flying uh, thing with the uh, with the GPS. Mm. And that um, that was also something that in the beginning I definitely was a bit more invested in because I really you know there's definitely uh, I definitely have a bit of a bit more of a nerdy side than Jenna has in the team <laughs> when it comes to like all that GPS stuff. But um, around 2008 we came up with like a competitive uh, format for acrobatics, which was basically a bit copied from like free fly. So two uh, two competitors and then one cameraman and having a set of simple figures and um, the first competition we organized in Skydive Spa in Belgium and that was actually attended by uh, like Tony from Tony Suits, Robert Pechnik from Phoenix Fly and nice. and that was a really super nice event because I think there was like with, I think we had something like 10 teams or 11 teams in total and, wow. and um, yeah, everybody was there. there, there was not a single thing Everybody saw it as a fun thing instead of as a competitive thing. And 
that event basically was organized uh, annually sort of as the international uh, acrobatic wingsuit competition. Nice. Um, it originally was called the artistic wingsuit competition, but then once in, I think, 2015, 16, slowly that process started of trying to get the format accepted into the FAI or sure. now the, or the IPC, I think now ISC. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> parachuting is not modern right and, uh, but um uh, back then i think the the first comment from the isc was like please drop the word artistic because like any discipline that had like artistic stuff in it has had a long history of basically you know people arguing about the subjective side of it yep so yep but um no, and then, then yeah, then that format uh, entered uh, the ISC, and uh, slowly, like the, the acrobatic competition started. It did cause a big drop in participation because it was such a small discipline. A lot of the teams entering were actually mixed nationalities, mm. and of course, ISC it needs to be one nationality, and that actually meant that after all the work I put in to actually get it in, into like an official format. Okay. Or like official acceptance, and together with other people like uh, from the US, uh, Zach Schreudel, um, which I probably pronounce a bit too Dutch, uh, <laughs> but uh, or German, but um, uh, Jacques Schreudel and um, yeah, a few others uh, really put a lot of work into trying to get that format uh, ready for the for the uh, ISC acceptance. And then at that point, I was no longer allowed to compete in the format because uh, at the time, my teammate was Belgium. Uh, uh, and even though for me, that was a one and a half hour drive, I wasn't allowed to compete with that guy. Geez. But somebody that's from Alaska and somebody that's from Hawaii, they're from the same country. So sure. they're allowed to compete together. But um, yeah, through all kinds of um, weird travels in life a lot of bad life decisions <laughs> uh, i uh i yeah i definitely hit a bit of a low spot in my life and then actually came in contact with uh, with jenna who both from the side of jumping really sort of reignited the flame and uh turned my jumping from doing almost full-time like boogies and things everywhere to mainly doing the work in the wingsuit tunnel which at that point had just started for about a year Sure. And together with her, figured out a lot of the stuff that we're actually at right now uh, that's being taught in the Wingsuit Tunnel. And because I uh, started more and more being uh, with her in Switzerland to the point where, uh, yeah, now I'm spending yeah, roughly 90% of the year in Switzerland. Sure. Um, actually was able two years ago to start competing for Switzerland. Um, and... Um, yeah, that's been uh, that's been amazing. Actually, sort of being allowed to compete in the format that I sort of had a part in in actually developing. <laughs> right. <laughs> After but, all this time. And yeah, Jenna there had exactly the same drive I had in in terms of you know wanting to be better and and very, we, we will spend in the wingsuit tunnel sometimes an hour of flying just on getting one certain dock or one certain move like really like tightly into the hand or, sure. or like making trying to not fly faster, but trying to fly like cleaner and more effective and just getting better. And, and that whole sort of competitive drive has been amazing. And I think at the moment in the current state of the world, both of us are equally frustrated because we love the wingsuit tunnel, but we're both aching to really go somewhere and do sure. like a good hundred jumps to actually 
you know, start training for the for the Mondial, which hopefully is happening this August. Yeah, hopefully. Now, in regard to the tunnel, um, before we started recording, I, I had said that uh, I still have yet to put on a, a wingsuit and get out and jump. And you kind of laughed and said, yeah, don't just come to the tunnel. So tell me about the tunnel and why the tunnel would be for anybody that's listening that's like me that it maybe has been jumping a long time but has never put on a wingsuit. Why is that tunnel a good way to start? Uh, well, I think two things. Like, I think one, um, if you suck at FS, you get coaching. If you suck at free fly, you get coaching. If you suck at a wingsuit, people tell you to buy a bigger suit or a different pilot suit or a different rig or open the corners again. It's a very gear-focused um, discipline. Sure. And I think the really nice thing about the tunnel is is that the um, – the slightly scary part of like the wingsuit jumping where everybody has this fear of like cutaways and other things, even though, you know, it's not needed in, in the last, like I've had in four and a half thousand wingsuit jumps, I've had two actual cutaways and uh, the last one was a good 2000 jumps ago. It's like, it's not needed, mm. but definitely uh, it can be a scary thing. And sure. I think for a lot of people, it can take the enjoyment out of it, the first few jumps. And the wingsuit tunnel, it allows somebody to come there and really just focus on the flying. And then if you actually like the flying aspect, then you can take it outdoors. And then you don't start sort of having to get used to handling all the gear on top of your normal skydive. But you do already have a good background in skills and flying sure. where you sort of know what you're doing, uh, you know, when you jump out of the plane. A bit similar to what they these days do with these sort of like pre-AFF tunnel courses. Sure. Well, and I would imagine though, especially with the wingsuit equipment nowadays, the suits are so fucking high tech and they're so impressive with the power that they have. I would think in the real world, uh, not in the tunnel, it would be very easy for someone to get themselves in trouble with a suit that's way too much for what they're capable of. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, And they're... Like there's, there's of course all kinds of set jump numbers, you know, like wait until you got 50 jumps to jump an intermediate suit, wait until you got like a good 200 jumps to jump like an advanced suit. But if all your friends are in a big suit and on the drops and you're just doing solos, then it's quite easy to go there. And I think what the tunnel allows is it does definitely blur sort of that line of like how many jumps do you need to do this Mm. and this. But it there it doesn't really matter if you're flying a small suit or a big suit you're purely focused on the skill aspect and if you fly with the right technique then anything you do works either in a small suit or a big suit and it definitely i think also allows people to sort of skip that phase of needing to do 50 solos to get the basic control Hmm. where you do you know uh, half a dozen to to a double dozen jumps to just get used to jumping the suits or two ways but it allows you then to already have the skill to actually comfortably fly with others and do a lot more creative stuff sure. uh, with the suits, more in the way that you do with free fly or FS. Well, for somebody like me, I think the tunnel would be epic for getting over um, what you were talking about in the beginning, which is basically gear fear. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. being focused on being worried about what could go wrong instead of focusing on, you know, what you're trying to learn to do. So for somebody like me, that would be fantastic. Yeah, we even do stuff like we have like this small dummy belt with a with a pilot shoot handle on it. So you can even do like practice pulls and all the stuff in the tunnel. So it definitely allows you to go through the full, you know, like the full the full aspects of a, of a wingsuit jump and 
yeah, just get comfortable with at least that side of everything so that that first actual jump is hopefully at least a bit less scary. Sure. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that the we quite often hear back from like coaches, you know, out there on drops and the contact us like, yeah, we just had this guy that did like two hours with you guys and he just came to the drop zone and it's like jump five. He was actually leading like a four way on his back. And it's, <laughs> that's, uh, the that, tunnel, that's, been, man. Like, that's been a big thing. And it's, it's definitely the wingsuit tunnel. Um, it's a bit more limited than vertical tunnel in what you can do. Cause sure. like in vertical tunnel, everything sort of has, you know, you can fly feet first or head first, but imagine the flying in the vertical tunnel only had head down then you'd also be a bit more limited in, in what you can do. Sure. But even there, I think Jen and I are both like personal flying probably close to about 100 hours over the last three years. Wow. And then coaching, we're both at around 1,500 hours or something like Jesus. that. Jesus. Well, I mean, I know from and, my own personal experience, teaching people uh, always made me better at whatever it was I was teaching because I had to mentally break down what it was I was doing to be able to explain it to these people. So with 1,500 hours of teaching people, you must just have it dialed in. Uh, well, it's, of course, there. there's also a lot of it is like when you're waiting for somebody to dock, sometimes you're just lying there on your back, completely static, uh, holding <laughs> out a hand and then, you know, just giving pointers in body position. Sure. But, um, um, and of course, the thing you have in a wingsuit tunnel, I would say about a third of the coaching we do is actually us walking in the tunnel. But that is also what makes it so much nicer because like teaching somebody back flying, normally they would jump out of the plane and if they basically screw up the exit or they're bending the legs down and they're basically going down, you know, spiraling down like water down the <laughs> water down the sink, um, then basically the jump is over. And like right. in the tunnel, what is so amazing is that um, Jen and I always teach with, with two coaches at the same time. And then it's uh, me walking or, or both walking and like teaching somebody to backfly. I basically hold them by the collar or hold them by one arm and you put them on the back. And then she, Jenna, flies in a wingsuit next to them and basically shows them what to do. And you, you can really do that thing where if somebody's flying a bit bent, I just grab the head and put it in the right position. And <laughs> right. in the sky, you're happy if people are even watching you, you know, when you're coaching somebody. <laughs> so there, if you're actually looking at like the, um, from a coaching point of view, I get to actually on a daily basis, I get to teach about you know, like three, four hours worth of flying. So if you if you put it in jumps, I think Jen and I have done like each like fifteen thousand jumps of worth of coaching in the which tunnel, is, which is amazing. Where, yeah, and they're having done like the full time jumping thing for many years. You end up going to a drop zone, and sometimes you just sit around all day waiting for weather. So it's it's also from like uh, a time effective thing. It's it's sure. really nice and. And same with weather, of course, not being weather dependent. Yeah, no doubt. Now, do you have a bunch of uh, base jumpers heading your way looking to learn the wingsuit skills to take to the mountains? Uh, yeah, for sure. It's, it's, I definitely think there is the biggest interest seems to be mainly from the, from the skydiving side, the people with like uh, formation flying or acro stuff uh, sure. in mind. I do think most base jumpers could learn a lot, but I think too many are focused purely on like the performance aspect where, sure. you know, like the agility side of things, learning to steer with the most minimal corrections, 
learning to actually fly slow and fast, which some people see as a disadvantage, but actually learning to fly different speeds at the same glide, where in the sky, a lot of people, they slow down, they start to degrade the glide and learning exactly where your stall point is, those kind of things I think are actually super valuable. Sure. And especially in exits where, you know, where things are not going fully in control. If you, if you look at some of the other people coaching in the tunnel as well, uh, either freelance or internal, if you see those people skydiving or base jumping, you see that there's a sort of um, where it, people are not flailing when things go wrong. It is always in any stage of the jump, uh, base jump or skydive, everything is in control. Sure. And I think there, the amount of flying you can do, it can definitely, and I think especially for base jumping, teach you a lot of stuff about just the, the really fine skills in, in sure. terms of, um, or the really fine motor skills in terms of control. Sure. Well, I know that, we're talking to uh, uh, um, uh, Nick Scalabrino and Matt Munting. Um, a part of the reason that they are as successful and as uh, um, dialed in as they are on a lot of their base jumps is because of the um, free-flying background of Nick. Um, and, yeah, um, and, and they jump. Uh, they are also, I think if you're looking at the, the people that are actually doing the amazing stuff, they are just flying a lot. And like, if you look yeah. at um, Matt and Nick, they, they basically, if they're not on a cliff with a wingsuit, they're on a plane with a wingsuit. Sure. And if they're not doing that, then they're free flying or doing other stuff. But it's, it's in the end, uh, people start, especially in base jumping, a lot of people, um, like they asked me, like how my, what my experience was or what Jenna's experience was when we started. And I had about two and a half thousand wingsuit jumps when I started with base. Jenna had, I think, 2,000 plus, like a good 500 hours in the wingsuit tunnel. Mm. And then people say, like, holy shit, that's a lot. And But if you look at somebody that has like 100 wingsuit skydives and then or 200 wingsuit skydives and wants to start wingsuit base jumping, that, imagine entering a martial arts tournament with three hours of martial arts experience. Sure. You know, or running a marathon, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I've, 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 I've been running like um, a total of three hours in the last few weeks or the last two years. Right. If you're looking at actual practice time, regardless if it's skydiving or base jumping, you're not getting a lot of practice time out sure. of it. And and their stuff, be it like skydiving a lot or be it tunnel, um, I think most of the seasoned jumpers that you'll talk to, they all have an incredible background in either other disciplines but usually on top of that also wingsuit skydiving and sure it well, definitely seems seems to be a bit of a dirty word for some like yeah i bet uh, fuck skydiving I, I prefer base jumping but if you see like the stuff we manage uh, like dan and i like when we're jumping like in lauterbrunner which is not the highest cliffs in the world but the stuff we managed to do there off like a low cliff in like a 10 14 second flight we're actually doing quite a lot of acro stuff sure where other people are just spending, you know, they're they're running up and down ten times a day, but they're basically repeating the same mistake fifty times, trying and then hoping for a different outcome. And sure, it's it's there like that. Doing any kind of dedicated training, tunnel or skydiving, it's I think the basis to actually improving. Sure. Well, one of the one of the things that uh, that I've seen, and I, I was lucky enough to talk to Nick and Matt about it, is the progression of the wingsuit base jumping, kind of backing away from the dirty low terrain flying and more into the technical aspects. Not quite down in the dirt and and a little bit more off the terrain. Which for people like me who are watching my friends do these things is a, a nice deep breath I get to take because <laughs> they're not you know clipping yeah, yeah. trees, you know. 
No, and, there, and there's a lot of things like I really enjoy with camera work, uh, flying with uh, basically a bit longer lenses, like instead mm. of like a fisheye thing, you fly with something like say like 35 or even 50 millimeter. Sure. And then the type of flights that Jenna and I do are never really close to terrain, but mm. with basically careful lens selection, the visual you get is actually one that gives a lot more speed and it gives the illusion of proximity without actually going into like the whole dangerous side. And, you know, like if it's about, uh, thankfully that game ended a bit, but that whole game of like who can fly lowest and closest, it's yep. like everybody on the base fatality list won that competition. Yeah. So it's, yeah. there is, you know, like I think if it's about who can fly closest and live, I think Jeb Corl is sort of <laughs> is, is the <laughs> undisputed winner. <laughs> Yeah, and, and yeah, and that you know, and that and you see that also in what he does. Like he also backed away from that kind of stuff because everybody realized that that is a game that's that's um, yeah, it's a dead end. Yeah, it's like the no pull contest that you know were before both the year and my time. Um, obviously, you don't want to win that game. Uh, and, uh, you know, we both, uh, even though I'm not directly in that, uh, that world and the base jumping stuff have more than a few friends that I've lost along the way. Um, not necessarily because they were trying to get dirty low, but because that's just where the flying was at the time. Uh, so it's yeah, very yeah. nice to see, um, the skill level of the flying going up right along with the, the flying getting a bit away from the terrain. So I love seeing Yeah, that. but I, I think that's actually because it's two different things. I think and that is i think in general a bit of a problem with with like less with skydiving but especially with base jumping there is two things that make people say wow and sadly the um, sort of like social media side seems more impressed with the bad decision making like flying close to terrain or doing something else that is not a skill it is a decision sure like i choose to fly close to something and that is, in the end, like if you drive your car 10 centimeters off the, the guardrail on the side and you do that for long enough, at some point you are going to get caught out and, yeah. you know, brush along that guardrail. And uh, that is the same thing with, um, you know, it's, it's, that it's purely a decision to fly close. And right. somebody that flies super low you're basically applauding like, wow, he's stupid. And sure. not saying that all the stuff in the past that was low is stupid, like some stuff was done with a lot of skill. Sure. But we sadly live in a world where if you watch anybody doing like something, you know, and like even looking at Matt and Nick, probably the videos they do where they are flying close to terrain probably get viewed more than the skydives where they're doing various acro stuff where if you look at the skydives and the acro stuff that is actually on a technical level and training and skill level way more difficult sure um than actual base jumping stuff but still there there seems to be too much appreciation for that well i mean it's like the, the decision making side it's the whole fascination with uh, um, threading the needle and, and potential death and injury. I mean, people are just, they're attracted to it for horrible reasons. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it over all the years. And I just talked about this with uh, with Junior and Omar, that every time there was a fatality at a drop zone, you see a spike in business because people are attracted to that kind of thing. And so that's the dirty low flying and all that stuff. It just draws people in. And I was always freaked out watching those videos because... Because regardless of how skillful the pilot might be, something well out of their control could take them out of it. I mean, when you've only got a few feet to spare, 
<laughs> you know, it's not your skill anymore. It's just dumb luck. Yeah, yeah. No, and then, like I said, you know, it's like there's always going to be that thing where if you look at skydiving, and you, you know, you flare a slight fraction of a second late and you slide it in instead of, you know, walking it out. Yep. That stuff happens. And like in base, you definitely want to have the margins to to allow for those kind of, um, you know, slight lapses. As we're getting through, hopefully getting through all this COVID crap and the world is starting to, fingers crossed, move forward, what's coming next? Uh, uh, do you have competitions that are coming up, training, trips? What 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 comes up for you guys? Um, I think for Jenna myself, at the moment, the Mondial, uh, and hoping that's going to be August in Russia, and otherwise, most likely, if they, if it gets postponed, it's going to be next year, I think, Eloy, the World Championships or World Cup mm. or whatever it's going to be. Sure. That is definitely our main aim in flying. Um, on the side, we're still doing various things, like we managed to shoot some stunts for, uh, for a Netflix movie project nice. uh, last May. We're shooting next week in Austria. We're shooting a commercial where we're getting to do some uh, some proximity flights on the on the Matterhorn. Um, so there, there's still quite a few sort of fun things in the in the near future for us. But the the competitive flying and training in the tunnel and in the sky that is our main thing. We're really eager to go to the U.S. for two three weeks to do like a combination of personal training and. Um, uh, and offering one-on-one coaching because we're definitely getting a lot of requests uh, for that. So, and depending on like the timing, that's either going to be something we probably do at Eloy or Elsinore or sure. Paris, one of those uh, one of those three drop zones. Um, we're um, yeah, and next to that, um, th- there's just a lot of fun jumping for us, which which for us is base jumping, which is like for us both the thing where we're not really coaching, we're not doing anything that's purely like leisure, purely fun, hmm. uh, and just enjoying being out in nature. Yeah, you said uh, and, uh, your base jumps, yeah. you basically shut the cameras off now and just go play. Yeah, we do. We do, of course, here or there film something, but I would say that's uh, that's probably like more than two thirds of our jumps. We're not really rolling cameras, or if we or if we're rolling a camera, it's purely something that is on, not with the intent of doing any actual filming, and then actually also not really doing any filming like actively during jumping. So it's 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 got to be very free. You know, if we the times. It is, it is definitely, and that is also in skydiving. Um, even when we're training, quite often we we do it either with one video just to sort of debris. But most of the time, from the amount of flying in the tunnel, we're quite aware already during the jump of the things you know we need to change, do better, or that kind of thing. So, yeah, just focusing on the flying and the fun and like the training aspect is is really nice, and not having that. Um, that worry about if a camera's on or that kind of stuff. Sure. Well, I mean, you said before, though, for you guys, the the training kind of is the fun. That's that's kind of the juice for you, which is fantastic because um, for somebody like me, um, being able to go out and jump with no expectations and no nothing, I finally got to become, you know, the fun jumper that I never got to be because I was too busy working. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it was, it was all about getting the job done. So now, of course, I've discovered the joy of going and being an idiot with no camera is just wonderful. Uh, but it sounds to me like you guys are just yeah, loving yeah, every aspect of it. Yeah, 100%. And I I did do, uh, like, in the beginning, like from jump number 400 to 800 or so, I did 
quite a bit of tandem video, but that purely was for me the joy of doing the camera work in freefall and learning that aspect. Sure. And I never really saw that as a work thing. Like I would have done double the jumps that I did if I could have. Sure. But back then it was only a weekend thing. Jenna did have, um, she did do like, I think almost two years or, or I think a year and a half actually doing like tandems and she did a good three, four hundreds. But I think also for her, that, that sort of like job aspect of it is what's made her slowly sort of do that less and less and also went for the wingsuit stuff. Sure. Uh, yeah, basically as like a, a full on, uh, yeah, for us now it's, it's basically a job. Which is fantastic. You know, not, not in the. So in the last year, it hasn't been the easiest of jobs. Like, thankfully, Sweden has stayed open. Right. Um, although, biggest problem has just been everybody having issues traveling. So it's like we we're just now back uh, one day from a camp that we did in Sweden, mm. and I think we're basically seeing not even a fifth of like the the customers we normally see, and especially like UK and US not being allowed to travel into Europe at the moment right. still. That's, uh, I think, for a lot of people, just really annoying. And for our, yeah, for us, um, it's um, yeah, it's just a thing where when we're there, we only have like two, three hours to fly during the day instead of like six or eight. Right, right. And yeah, we just enjoyed actually Sweden being open in in terms of going to a restaurant. Sure. And uh, we actually did a bit of vertical fly, flying in a vertical tunnel because that's not open anywhere else in Europe. Right. Right. Well, you said uh, you, you just got back from this trip and you've got like the next two or three weeks ahead of you with nothing really to do, which is very unusual for full-time skydivers. Skydivers are not used to, all right, sit. No, no, for sure. <laughs> you know, they're not. Even if they don't travel, even if it's somebody that's just at their home drop zone, they're not used to, no, 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 stay on the ground, sit there and just behave yourself. It's a very difficult thing. Yeah. And I, and it made me pick up a lot of stuff that I hadn't done in years, you know, like I, I, I actually been drawing quite a bit again, which was actually something that by profession I was trained to do, but I, <laughs> right. as I got work, I never did it for fun anymore. Um, actually 2004 already, I started writing down all the things in wingsuit flying that I thought were like cool to, to put to paper because there was nothing. And I did put out like various videos, little tutorials and those kind of things. And they were always, you know, like well watched and everything. Over the years, I think I wrote a good 60 pages of what was intended to be like my wingsuit book that I wanted to publish. Sure. But then that was basically written from like 2004 up to 2012, 13 or something. But then that died a very lonely death on a hard drive somewhere. <laughs> uh, basically, it's still there, but just didn't continue on it. And now last March, I basically picked that whole project up, did sort of read what I wrote back then, but fully tossed it and started from scratch. Nice. And started actually writing on like a, yeah, like a, it's always been a bit of a dream to like actually, you know, publish a book, do a TED talk. Those are sort of like the little, sure. little cool things that you sort of hope to do at some point. And that book project now, I mean, basically writing the last three, two, three chapters and I'm now almost 300 pages in. Amazing. And the aim is to actually, the aim is to actually publish that like end of March, so uh, this month. So I'm putting a bit of pressure on myself to actually uh, finish that in time. That's fantastic, man. I'll tell you what, and, that's uh, such a huge accomplishment, especially considering the span of time that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's I, I think it also, um, I definitely also got a bit sport here again during the whole lockdown. Right. Which is, uh, which is also good. I, uh, 
I definitely got a bit more on the on the pudgy side, and you do want to keep fitting in those winkies. And uh, you know, like especially having a having a girlfriend slash teammate that is insanely fit in uh, and sporty and everything she does. You know, she's flying with a uh, with Mr. Toad next to her. That's not gonna help. <laughs> so um, so there, um, yeah, I definitely had to sort of step up and uh, get a bit uh, get a bit fitter, get a bit lighter and stuff. Nice. To, uh, to actually just as a team to uh, to fly successfully together. Well, hopefully you guys and, will be um, uh, ready to tear it up once the world uh, stops spinning off axis and it gets back to normal, or at least a little. Yeah, bit. we hope so too. And and there are also like various other things. Like there's the um, already quite a few years flew with a wingsuit with uh, with jet engines on like jet boots. Yeah, I actually wanted to talk and to you about that. Uh, I saw going through your Instagram a picture of you with that setup, and that looks pretty fucking intense, man. Uh, it's not too bad it's it's uh it, i also have to say i wasn't actually the first one doing that it was actually a, a finnish guy visa parviana mm. which i'm probably pronouncing shitty which i should be ashamed of because my name is actually finnish apparently <laughs> but um so i should at least know how to pronounce something finnish but um he was the first one to actually jump with with like the jet engines uh, on the boots and he actually already then managed like sustained level flight and climb so what i did up to this point was uh, yeah, basically copying what he did, but not actually sort of taking the next step yet. So I did, in total, only four flights with the setup because it was quite a pricey thing every time mm. to organize. Which thankfully a friend of mine owns a hot air balloon and <laughs> sort of you know sponsored a lot in what I did there. Sure, but um, we're at the moment through like an airplane, a company that actually builds acrobatic airplanes, building the next setup, which is essentially going to be like a small. Yeah, almost think of it like a jet backpack or like a uh, like a baby baby version of the the the, the Jetman style wing. Okay, that uh, Fred and Vince uh, and uh, Yves Rossi are uh, have basically made uh, yeah quite famous. Sure. But my goal is not to basically fly a wing, but I want to actually fly a wingsuit, but just with that push in the back where you can actually fly level and climb sustained. Sure. And um, yeah doing that with the noise of jet engines <laughs> so and they're uh yeah it's, it sounds like a dentist drill from hell when you hear that it's like the the those uh, jet turbines they spin at i think it's nineteen thousand rpm yeah and uh it's uh it's it's an insane sound like even two three kilometers away you you still hear that yeah it's got quite a whine to it i've heard and, them. <laughs> And it's, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be quite cool. So it's the, the aim is in two, three months to start doing some tunnel testing with a, with basically a version of the, yeah, like the jet pack without the motors in it. Nice. Then starting some skydives uh, with it also uh, without the motors. And then actually through like end of season to hopefully start. Uh, and, and most of what I'm saying now with the jet stuff is it's not the priority. The priority is really the competitive training sure. and all this stuff is more fun on the side. And that is the aim. So like post world championships to have that stuff to focus on more. Nice. But then, yeah, hopefully also have uh, some very cool stuff to show and, uh, and do. Well, I'd say you've got a full calendar when it finally opens back up. So that you've got more than one or two things to keep going for sure. So now yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and there, uh, I've always been uh, 
yeah, one of staying busy. For sure, <laughs> well, for sure. Now, share with everybody your um, social media, how they track you. Also, tell people how they can get a hold of you for training in the tunnel uh, and kind of following all your adventures. Yeah. That way they know where they're going. So, uh, uh, for uh, our team side is um, uh Team Fly Like Brick, and that is the same on all uh, media. So it's like Facebook or Instagram. If you basically follow Team Fly Like Brick or you check flylikebrick.com, you can find all the information about the tunnel camps. We do a camp every month besides July, August, because then it's just way too toasty in that tunnel. Hmm. And it's nicer to be outside. Sure. But, um, and yeah, we're basically open to all levels of uh, flying. So somebody with, with zero skydives, zero, anything can come to the tunnels. Somebody with a thousand wings or jumps. And uh, we definitely believe we have something to teach anyone at any level. Um, so yeah, check out the dates and the camps and all the info on our website. Um, my personal Instagram is uh, McCordia, which is not Scottish heritage or anything. Uh, it's just my middle initials of my, uh, my middle name. Cool. Uh, but McCordia on uh, on both Facebook, Instagram, and uh, and YouTube, and that's also where you find like all the videos uh, on uh, yeah, basically what we're doing. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, I can't wait to check out not just the the jetpack stuff, uh, but to see you guys get back in the air for competitions because uh, I know that's what you're chomping at the bit for. So I very much look forward to tracking your progress. Yeah, more than welcome. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, again, it's something we just love to do. And um, yeah, the more people we get excited for that, the more the discipline, I think, at an official level can grow as well. Yeah, so, uh, more people to play with. We, uh, the more the more competition we have, the better. So we, we hope other people also get into this stuff and uh, make life hard for us. Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, I'll tell you, as always, I cannot thank you for enough for taking the time to sit down and, and share some of this with me. We're definitely talking again after you start uh, competing again and, and get the jets in the air. So thank you so much. More than welcome. And uh, thank you for, uh, yeah, for having me. You betcha. Take care. And there you have it. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void brought to you as always by, and say it with me, fuck yeah, NZ Aerosports. Head to nzaerosports.com. By Pussfoot. That's right. Head to Pussfoot.com, the extreme sports collective, and check out everything they've got to offer. By SummitParachuteSystems.com. Jarrett Martin and the family cranking out amazing pilot rigs, as well as incredible rigging courses. And now joining the Lunatic team, it's the one and only Tony Suits. You know them, you love them. Head to TonySuit.com. Check out all the amazing standards, as well as the new incredible signature line they've got going on. And as for us, the Lunatic Fringe is now on YouTube. That's right, you're going to have the chance to put faces to the audio by heading to YouTube.com and looking up the Lunatic Fringe Podcast. It's easy. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, check out all the amazing videos from the previous guests that we've had, as well as new and upcoming interviews on video. As always, I am the fucking pilot. Head to thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time around.